Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Oh, ho, ho, I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, as I have told you again and again, the annuals don't count. Well, that aside, we welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe, annuals included. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening. Mark, we've been almost at this for 10 years, and so we've made a ton of podcasts in that time. That means that we've actually outgrown Apple Podcasts feed size. So that's why we've created the Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues feed which hosts all of our older content of Amazing Spider Talk. So if you want to check out some of our earliest uh, episodes, which I still think are pretty great uh, and have some amazing interviews with creators, you know, past, present, etc., go check out Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues and Apple Podcasts. It's got our full library. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 15, also known as issue 909, part of the Dark Web event. I can't wait till the next episode, which is the one after 909. This issue was is written by Zeb Wells. The issue's cover is from artist John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcio Menez. The interior pencils are from Ed McGinnis with Cliff's with inks from Cliff Wraithburn, plus colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. It's also important to note that this issue was edited by Nick Lowe's evil clone, Albert Banazak. This issue is first released on December 14th, 2022. Mark, why don't you give us a summary of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 15? You might say I dig a pony and want to talk about it, Dan. Sorry, you mentioned you made a Beatles <laughs> reference, and now I can't stop. So it's, it's Beatles might be the one thing I'm more obsessed with than Spider-Man. So there we go. 
We're in New York City and it's being overrun by demons and gargoyles and the like. We are joined by Venom in 90s lethal protector mode. He saves a baby, but like that era of Venom, he needs to find Spidey so he can eat his brains. We get some Spider-Man internal dialogue exposition. It's not a great day with the demons and everything. And he's trying to get to Norman Osborn, who has sent him a distress signal. He happens about Chasm standing over a fallen gold goblin. Peter tries the talking sense approach until Ben tells him, hey, I'm insane, and all of this chaos is my doing. We get some super rigid dialogue until Venom shows up with some super dumb dialogue, which is also called out by Spider-Man. We also get some more brain-eating jokes until Ben legit makes me wish for flesh-eating brain parasites when he starts singing the praises of something called the Tome of Balakan. Did I say that right, Dan? Balakan? That, ba that's ba a workout Balak I do with my wife on the weekends. I know, right? I mean, with a little little Pilates and some Balakan. I mean, you know, what, what, what could go wrong? He gets a baklava afterwards. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. We then get the obligatory Miss Marvel appearance since we need to sell some more of those sweet, sweet tie-ins, right, Niklo? Or whatever Albert Banazarek is. Uh, <laughs> Peter goes <laughs> Peter goes to run. So we cut to the Threats and Menaces office where Jolly Jonah shows up for the first time in months. And he makes an Alan Rickman Robin Hood Prince of Thieves joke. Gen X. And then Ben Riley is in his office, and I swear to God, I saw this in Maximum Carnage 30 years ago, and we're totally getting Maximum Carnage, but dumber now, aren't we? Anyway, back to Peter and Eddie. Spidey uses fire and sound to subdue Venom before Madeline and Eve show up because, yes, they're still vital parts of this story. Madeline comes to collect an unhinged Eddie, which leads to a cliffhanger of Chasm striking a pose, ready to do more stuff. What do you think about that, Dan? Well, you know, it's funny you say maximum carnage, but dumber. And I don't even necessarily know if that's possible. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like maximum carnage is, you know, love it or hate it. It's pretty dumb, you know, but it's at least it's kind of like narratively concise. Right. It's like Carnage is going to kill a bunch of people and Spider-Man's going to feel conflicted about that, which, you know, fair enough. I mean, do we need that like milked for whatever, 14 issues or whatever it was? Um, it was 14. I, don't know. I remember. Yeah. I remember it well. 14. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look, I remember it very clearly as a young, as a young person who never had all of them and yet still could pick up what was happening, I guess, in the story. And Anyway, like, I think that's to say, boy, this issue to me, like, tonally with, like, the writing and the art was a huge departure from what we've been getting out of Dark Web. And that's not to say, like, I'm holding Dark Web up as some, like, in the first two chapters as some, like, beacon for the best writing. But, like, this felt like a completely different story than that one tonally. Like... And, and I've read, and, and I'll let you talk in a second, um, I've read that Wells has, you know, we, we know that he's been operating on a bit of a delay with JRJR, and he's kind of all over the place writing these stories out of order in order to, fit, you know, make these deadlines work for the twice shipping with these major artists. And so, like, he has said in interviews that he likes to write to match to the artist's strengths. And this is no knock on Ed McGinnis, who, whose work I like. 
reading Zeb Wells and Ed McGinnis, it's like he got the same surgery that Venom got in this comic, which is to say, like, it feels like lobotomized Zeb Wells. Like, it's just significantly dumber, like, and, and out of nowhere. Like, ASM 900, tonally also out of nowhere. So did you feel the same way reading this issue? I, I, yeah, I, I was about to make the point, like, it, it, it had the same effect as ASM 900. Like, I mean, I wouldn't... It's not that I wouldn't say dumber because I, I love to call things dumb. I mean, you know, that makes me a terrible person, but that's who I am. Um, but like, it, 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 you know, the the line I used in the synopsis was like rigid, like every everything feels very stilted and, and inorganic and inauthentic. And like these characters are I am doing this thing now and now I'm going to do this thing now. And it's like there, there, there's no flow to this comic whatsoever. And then yeah, it's there is some dumb stuff in there. Like the the, 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 the we'll, we'll get into it. I'm assuming, but like everything with Venom is just dumb in this comic. Like there, like I did not understand any of this. Like like you could talk to me like, oh, we we lobotomized Venom, whatever. Like this com this th this character has not been written like this in a solid what 15, 20 years at this point. Like he has gone so far beyond this, and the fact that we're regressing to this just feels insulting to me as a reader. Like I don't want to read about this version of this character anymore. And yeah, but like, but beyond that, like the the two McGinnis issues we've got have, have just felt so stilted and 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 unemotional. And I, it's like, you know, we, we we just had a comic, you know, from last week where you know it was filled with emotion. Not that I necessarily liked it, but it had emotion, and 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 this this was completely lacking of it. So I don't know if. I don't I, like like you. I, I I've liked a lot of McGinnis's work over the years, so I don't feel that he is an emotionless artist. But I I I don't know what the what the match that Zeb Wells is thinking of here. Like it, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's funny because like I I think also Ed McGinnis is just the wrong guy for this book at the moment. Like I I mean I think his nine hundred showed that like that's a really attractive book like and if i were to get someone into spider-man for the first time i certainly feel like i could give them asm 900 and you know it would be a really like fun read for them but like on the back of that tombstone story and before the vulture story it's just so out of place you know it is like an evergreen spider-man story in a volume that is very much not evergreen you know um like this is, i mean as much as I'm enjoying this stuff, it's a very specific take on Spider-Man. And this felt like any other like Spider-Man Venom fight we might have gotten in the 90s uh, in, in the middle of this dark web story. Except here's the thing, like Ed McGinnis's artwork is not very 90s to me. Like it's it's very clean. Like Cliff Wraithburn, who, who, who did a lot of the inking on like Invincible and has is a beautiful inker. I mean, I think he's one of the best inkers in the industry. And like combining him with Ed McGinnis, it's like what a slick slick product. Like this is a like a beautiful book that I could give. Like it's like YA book, which is like, and that's not a knock. Like YA books exist in the way that they do. They are attractive and they are meant to bring in a mass audience uh, to the title. That's just not the kind of story the dark web was operating as like you know when, when you've got like Kyle Hotz's stuff you know and pairing it up with Ed McGinnis you know in the same like tonal universe of story they just 
you couldn't think of two more disparate artists than than these two and i just it's so bizarre that like this story found itself with this artist in in this way i i don't get it i i i honestly have no idea why an editor would put ed mcginnis in the middle of this 90s pastiche uh grim dumb story uh it makes no sense to me and then then there are the tie-ins the tie-ins galore like this felt much more ham-fisted than the the alpha issue or you know whatever they what do they refer to it as the 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 dawn or the dusk um, the dusk always comes before the dawn if we're talking like batman terms i think uh yeah we're always talking about batman batman terms on amazing spider talk dance so naturally uh but yeah i i i i mean like you, you would have thought that the perfunctory tie-ins and and like setting up all of the be sure to read this series. Editorial notes were going to be a big part of the of the 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 you know dusk issue, but instead they're they're thrown in here, and it's like, like I mean that Miss Marvel tie-in was ridiculous. Like I I I, I like what is she doing here? What is, why is she in this book? Come on. I mean, there's a lot of questions about that just generally, like you know uh, that that get to world building around Norman Osborn too, which is like, does she know that he was the green goblin does she know that peter is spider-man like these like like how does she feel about that and having her like defending the, them here is very bizarre like yeah I, i'm not sure what she's doing in this other than trying to sell other titles and i know that zeb wells says he has big plans for her in year two of his run but it's like so then hold off like i i, I don't know what she's doing in, in this book other than trying to sell a, a one-shot for me, the like, you know, the 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 tie ins are really annoying. But the bigger annoyance with this issue is that, like, we just got done praising Dark Web for, you know, keeping the narrative going like this totally abandons the like, what did Peter do? Norman's rever- Norman reversal and really the Peter and chasm conflict for just like a a padding fight with Venom, which I don't really care all about that much because like I don't. I don't even know the context of that within dark web. Like why did we need to lobotomize venom and have him be a part of this plan? I have no sense of what the plan with venom is. Maybe it's to distract Spider-Man. I don't know. It just seems like, well, we're doing this because it'd be great to tie the venom book into dark web. And that's not a knock against the venom book, which I actually have been enjoying for all of its Al Ewing Ram Venus just to say it's more of a puzzle than it is a character story. So let's talk about that 90s Venom. You know, we both started reading Spider-Man and a lot of our love of Spider-Man is built on the back of him fighting 90s Venom. But I also think that this 90s Venom is less the Venom we got in the 90s more than it is like how the the cartoon character of how that character has been personified both by like comics that are looking to do like a pastiche of that, even from David Michelini and his like new Venom Lethal Protector series and the Venom movie. Like this feels like the Venom from the Venom movie more than anything else. It's 100% a caricature of 90s Venom. It's not, it's not 90s Venom. I mean, this is, I, I, I like, this is, this is, you know, a, a copy of a copy of a copy, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and 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 I think by design, I don't think they're trying to be somewhat 
intelligent about it, you know, like and and that's a choice. I don't think it's a good choice, but it's a choice. Uh, and, and, and and that's that's what we're getting here. I, I like like, you know, I, I, I'm sure if you interviewed people about this on the creative side, they'd be like, oh, we're just having fun. But it's so over the top and unthoughtful that I don't find it fun. It's just like, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, the whole sequence with, I'm going to say something about eating your brains that rhymes with eating your brains. And Spider-Man's like, you just want to eat my brains. It's like when your own characters and their dialogue are making fun of the jokes. Like, like we used to talk about this during the dad slot run. It's like, if you have to make fun of your own jokes, they're bad jokes. Don't tell the jokes. Like, it's like, like, like spare us. Like why, why, like, like wh- who, who wins in this? <laughs> like, it's just, well, anyway, well that's I, funny because, because like everything about this comic to me read like a Dan slot comic. Like it, it, it really felt that way to me. It was, it was meta jokey, self-acknowledging. It is not particularly character oriented more than it is like, we need the plot to work like this because I want to use this character or the plot just needs to work like this. It is secret scrolls heavy, which we're, we'll get into, you know, in the latter half of, of this episode, like so much of this felt like a Dan slot comic Maybe maybe someone will like uh like leverage us and say like well like have you have you just not allowed yourself to have fun anymore reading these comics like can't we just get a comic of Spider-Man fighting Venom and allow that to be fun and I don't know I mean for me like yes like I've been the one that's been begging for 90s Venom to come back I love the dynamic between like uh, uh Eddie and and Peter and and having him as a villain but like I thought that the humor in this and the plotting in this was like some of Zeb Wells weakest uh, since he's taken over the title. And so it's like, yeah, it'd be fun if it was more fun. I mean, not not to become the, the kind of Internet fan that I've been making fun of for the last few months, Dan, but it's like, you know, these characters have had growth, you know, like like why are we why are we going back on that growth? Why are we being so regressive in our storytelling here? And that's that's my problem with it. It's not that I can't have fun. It's like. Like if we're gonna have '90s Venom, let's have a good reason for having '90s Venom. Yeah, I agree, but it's it's also just like such a huge distraction from the rest of the story that we were getting. You know, it's it's it truly feels like a tangent that's taken over the main ASM book. You know, it'd be one thing if that tangent was like driven by a very clear reasoning. You know, it's like okay, we're getting a Scorpion story because Jonah has hired the Scorpion to go after Spider Man. Fine, but like that gives me at least a clear like, okay, this is the setup and this is why this is happening. You know, here I don't know why Venom is doing what he's doing and what the stakes of that are. And so it really feels very frivolous to me. Well, speaking of frivolous, why don't we talk a little bit about our Slack? Yeah, absolutely. Nothing like uh, chatting on the Internet is that's maybe the most frivolous thing on Earth. But uh, tell me a little bit more, Mark. It could be rewarding, but it's also a waste of time, Dan. Anyway, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join. And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Right, Dan? Yeah, well, frivolous is the name of the game of what Mark and I do. But I think fun 
has some value. Uh, so this this week in the Slack, you know, we've been having fun making fun of this announcement that the Hypno Hustler is getting his own movie starring Donald Glover. I mean, what is what more is there to say? It's just what we've always wanted, a Hypno Hustler movie. And Mark, you know, the minute I heard this, I thought, you know, back to that commission that we did for our Patreon. Like, man, if this thing stars Lonesome Pincus, I mean, like, I have hit the jackpot. I mean, c- could it get better than that, Mark? Like, we might have to do a side tangent a whole season again on Lonesome Pincus just to, like, you know, follow up on that. I mean, like, uh, c- call me up, Marvel. Like, I, I-, I want to I provide plot ideas for Lonesome Pincus stuff. I mean, could we make like an NFT of our my song of Los and Pincus or something? Because that thing would be worth like thousands of dollars. Is my and and, and we can use it to fund the pay, the the fund the show. So you know, like let's do it. All right, sounds great. So yeah, I mean, if you want more of that kind of content, you know, uh, come on over into our Slack. We we are laughing it up about the hypno hustler and our love of lonesome pinkus you can um join the community pretty simply there's a link in the description to our podcast episodes whether you're on amazingspidertalk.com or you're just looking on your podcast app there's links in the description it will take you right to the slack you can sign up and join our really fun uh friendly community of spider-man fans so let's get back to someone who is not a fan of spider-man at least at the moment and that is Chasm. I haven't loved Chasm as a character, but I at least appreciated like, okay, they're doing like some 90s pastiche thing here that's almost like a satire of the 90s. He's kind of dumb, edgelord kind of thing. But like, what did we get in this issue? Like, who is this character? I don't have an intelligent answer for you, Dan. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, he just kind of shows up and does stuff, you know? It's like, look, it's it's chasm. The confrontation between him and Peter, I mean, to call it disappointing, I think would be an understatement. It's like, you know, like, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this was... This was a confrontation we got back in ASM, you know, when we were supposed to be traumatized um, six months, you know, however, however many <laughs> months ago that was. We we saw like no real growth or or progression from that. Like, I, I don't know, like that, that that whole sequence was just like mind boggling to me in terms of like for lack of a better phrase, how boring it was. It was boring. Like there was no like, you know, we talked about last episode that confrontation between Ben and Norman and how I was like, Ooh, wow. What's, what's, what's Ben going to do? Like, you know, it was kind of like, you know, Thanos confronting the Avengers. Like how, 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 how far is he going to take it here? I was just kind of like, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, what, what did you, did you get anything else out of it? Did you get anything more from it? Cause it, it seemed pretty dull to me. I mean, I just don't get how this is the same writer. Like, he, he set himself up for an um, like a moment that we've been waiting for. Like, why not deliver on this? Like, you know, and you got Peter and, and chasm like meeting for the first time. And, you know, like, and this has been something I brought up, which is like, I've been disappointed that like so much of this whole thing is built on a misunderstanding that could be cleared up just by the two of them having a conversation. And here we get that conversation and it's just dumb. He's just like, he's like, Oh, I'm sorry about what happened to you. And then chasm's like, 
no, you shouldn't be because I've been behind all of this. I'm insane and I'm evil. And it like robs chasm of any sympathy I might've had for him. Like, like, okay. Like before I thought, okay, this is dumb, but like he's confused here. It's like, Nope, I'm giving you everything you need. I'm willing to help you. And he's like, I don't really care about that. Like, I just want to fight you. And it just takes you back to those old, like dumb team up episodes where they had to have that obligatory, like we disagree or we, we misunderstand and we're going to fight each other for some reason. And like any of the stakes, like, like if you wanted to completely let the air out of the tire on all of dark web and everything that like chasm is motivated by, this is how you do it. Like I, I couldn't think of a more like, quintessential way to showcase how to ruin the stakes in a story. This is it. It's baffling to me. I mean, you know, I know you said earlier, this like reminded you of a Dan Slott story. And I was, you know, I I will just say to that, like, Hey, you know, Dan Slott did far more service to Ben Riley in dead no more slash clone clone conspiracy than what, what's being done here. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 like, like this is, it's not that it makes no sense. It just, like you said, has no stakes, like zero stakes. There cannot be less stakes in a comic than what we're getting here. And that's just like, like, what are we doing here? Then what's the point? It's like, it's like a misunderstanding is almost no stakes, but this is even lower than a misunderstanding. It's just like being deliberately obtuse. (laughs) Like, like I I don't know how else to, to put it than that. Like to the point that I like almost refuse to accept that this is the same character. Like, I mean, not that it looks like the same character, like Ed McGinnis just throws out that cool design that Gleason did and replaces it with like the MCU version of Chasm. It's like slick and metallic, like even the teardrop eyes that like felt very liquid have become these rigid, solid lines. It's like I like I just don't like it. Like, no, who is this character? Like, and then Mark, I know you're going to like raise like hell about this. Like you did in, in your, uh, in your preview, but like, man, like I don't even need to make a joke about secret scrolls here. It, it legitimately like grinded or ground or whatever the whole issue to a halt for me. Cause I was just like, Oh no, what do we do? Like, like I mean, like whatever this character is at what right now is like, very hard for me to follow and to get behind and either as a hero or a villain or an anti-hero or any of these things but if like you're gonna like superpower him with like magic and mysticism like i'm out like this is yeah the minute he showed up with like tongues and goblets and a magic book with no setup to any of that it was like okay well then who even is this guy like what is his power set what does he want? I mean, I, I said last issue that he seemed to have so many different goals that we couldn't track or see how they all fit together. But now it's like, I don't even know who this character is anymore. Okay, it's Voldemort that just entered into this. Like, I, I, it's so bizarre to me. And I get that Madeline Pryor is magic oriented and yada, yada, yada. But like, I don't know. It's 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 the like, oh, like, you know, like bananas are great. Meatloaf's great, but you should, you shouldn't be making banana meatloaf. Like these are just things that don't combine in a Spider-Man comic. Like keep your magic as far away from these characters as possible. I mean, Canada's great and bacon is great, but 
keep your Canadian bacon away from me, right? Oh, throwback. Throwback. <laughs> uh, throwback, right. throwback. Throwback. So, like, to me, like, this isn't just, like, a fail on this character. Like, boy, after, like, really kind of giving a lot of my goodwill to Dark Web, there, there could maybe have been no worse move to take me out of this story than what happened with Ben Riley in in this moment here. What else you got for this issue, Dad? Well, I you know, because I don't care about the rest of it, you know, I do care about still what's going on with Peter and MJ. And there's this moment here where Peter confirms that he lost MJ. So this is kind of the first confirmation that like whatever this was between him and Norman was MJ oriented up until this point, we have been assuming that. And then I thought the use of the word lost is interesting because, you know, loss has many different meanings. It, it could mean that she died, but then, you know, you could be more direct and say that she died. If you really wanted to get to that point, you know, it could mean that she went missing in some way. And I think one of the interesting things about that word that got me thinking is, and again, I said I wasn't going to speculate last time, but I do think there's something genuinely interesting here, which is for a long time, we have been trying to kind of square like the time jump. And how is it that like MJ and this guy, Paul could have these kids of this age? You know, we don't know that they're her kids, right? But like the book strongly is implying that like, they're her kids, you know, or that, they, um, or that they, th- or that she is close enough with them that they think of her as mom, you know, right in in a very small time span, you know, especially given that like last we saw Peter and MJ were like at the highest, like the closest to getting back together, we had or, or like remarried or or engaged that we had seen them in a long time. Peter had an engagement ring and everything, and we also know that Peter went to the Fantastic Four first. And they denied him use of whatever device he needed. And he stole something from them and took it to Norman. Right. And so it gets me thinking like the Fantastic Four right now. I don't know if you've read Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, Mark, but there's like a big thing they have in that called the Forever Gate, which is basically like this portal to an untold infinite of universes with untold possibilities. And it makes me wonder, like, could MJ have been lost, so to speak, you know, in time, like she went to a universe where time moved differently and she's had a life separate from Peter that allowed this relationship to occur naturally. Then I start going down the rabbit hole, which I'll spare everybody too. But like, if you're editorial and you're really wanting to end this MJ thing once and for all, which I'm not sure is a good idea because boy, you will be, you know, invoking the ire of fanboys young and old, like you just remove her from the equation once and for all by like giving her a real family that is hers, you know, maybe as unearned as it might be of having it happen off page, but that's certainly a possibility. So like, I don't know. I don't even need you to respond to that unless you have a response or thoughts that that provoked. But um, I just thought the word lost was interesting this has been your weekly look into where Dan's brain goes because of one word. Well, you know, do you have any, you have any, you have any insights on the solicitations next week, Dan, that you want to discuss, or uh, you know, or, or, or you know, anything for like the next six months that you want to get out there? No, I, I, I don't actually. I haven't seen any solicitations uh, involving this. Although we will be getting the post 
dark web post uh, fill in arc covers that are dealing with this story soon. And it's weird because Marvel has, has changed their solicitation process where they're only revealing like the first half of the month at a time instead of the whole month in full. And if I really wanted to go full conspiracy brain, I would say it's because they're trying to hide whatever the cover is or synopsis is to this Peter MJ story. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to go there, even though I just went there. So forget I said anything, Mark. Just erase this from your brain. Go step in some radioactive goo that erases your memories and forget I ever said anything about this as you smirk at me from the other end of the line and laugh about me even doing any of this. So, Mark, what's your grade on this issue? I've just been smirking for like the last three minutes. I'm just like, I'm... I'm, 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 I'm I'm conjuring Alan Schurzel right now to be like, Alan, like Calgon, take me away. Alan, take me away. <laughs> uh, what do, what do my, you think of this issue? Yeah, I, I, I'm giving this a D. Yeah, I'm giving, this, I'm giving this thing a D minus. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, I know. I know. I, I mean, um, you know, you could say that this comic lost you, Dan. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It did. It did. Twenty That's minutes later. Twenty minutes later. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it it did lose me. Like you know, this is how you lose a lot of goodwill. You know, like I gave a lot of goodwill to this dark web storyline after initially being, you know, confused as to what it is, and then you read something like this and you go, like, is the writer even? And the editorial team, even do they even know the story they're telling? Like, it, it's so confusing to me. These are, as I've said a few times over the last few months, these are the comics that make me very hesitant to buy in to this run, despite the fact that I've generally liked it. You know, it's 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 a tough spot to be in because you I, I want to like this full-throated and with all of my heart and soul because I think there is some really good ideas being executed here. You, you get stuff like this and you're like, are they going to pull this off or are they going to, is this going to be another Nick Spencer run? You know, like, cause there were points in Nick Spencer's run where I really liked it. And then it, all of a sudden I didn't. So I'm not saying this is a turning point because we're, we're not that far into, there hasn't been this much of a case study for this to, you know what I mean? But and I feel like through this point, this run has been far more consistent than Nick Spencer's run. It's just it's just what makes me leery. Let's just put it like that. Okay. And and I don't want to belabor belabor the point I made earlier, but it's like I feel bad giving a comic with Ed McGinnis's art as beautiful as it is a D minus, but like, you know, a good artist used improperly, you know, is can be damaging. To, to a story, you know, like you, I mean, I love JRJR. There's probably stories that like putting him on it would be improper. Like to me, this is an editorial fail. It's a bummer. I want to say that I'm excited about this confrontation with chasm coming up, but like you said in your, in your, in your uh, review, he's going to do stuff. And the reason you can't say more than that, Mark, is because I have no idea what this guy's motivations are. Like, like, He's going to fight Peter. Why? He just had a like weird conversation with him where they didn't fight. I, I I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. 
if you do find the show entertaining and valuable, unlike the comic that Mark and I just read, maybe you like the comic. That's totally great too. Write to us. Come come join our Patreon and join our live streams so you can tell us how wrong we are. You know, Mark and I, we continue to love Spider-Man nevertheless. Um, but it would be helpful if you could, if you enjoy this show to help recommend Amazing Spider Talk to this community. We are still a small show and it's only through the word of mouth that we grow. But if you really love the show and you want to help its existence, why not consider becoming a member of our Patreon? I mean, it sounds like a good idea to me, Dan. I mean, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members. And we owe the show's success to every single one of them. So we are constantly making exclusive content for our Patreon members. I'll tell you, we value them so much that I have been sending out buttons to every single one of them in the mail, which I'm losing money on. But I I, I, I just love our community so much that like... Uh, I, 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 I was feeling in the Christmas spirit and put out the call for bu- uh, sending out buttons. So It's like strong Elon Musk vibes right here, Dan. I mean, strong <laughs> Elon Musk vibes. In I what? Mean, I'm maybe, creating maybe, a cult? Maybe, 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 maybe if they gave you $8 for a blue check mark, those buttons would become profitable. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but, but that's not what we're asking for, right? No, no, no. Although they're, they're red buttons, which makes me take me back to the Hobgoblin and his red button that he pushes to blow things up. Ours don't work that way. They're actually just to spreading joy. Yes, we're not asking for we're not asking for that. We're, we're just asking for three dollars and ninety nine cents, which is the price of a new comic or, or often less than the price of a new comic, which you can you know, when you spend that money, you're putting it towards a month's subscription to support our show and also to start receiving our Patreon content. Again, that's like twofold. You know, like it's the goodwill of supporting something you really enjoy and find value in, but also getting a little of that sweet, sweet kickback. You know, this this is the sweetest of kickback because you're going to get all these review episodes of our show the very same week that the comics come out. Like some of you guys are like, man, Gavazdin, why don't you release these episodes faster? Because I'm giving them to the Patreon people. They got to get their sweet sticky fingers in it first. Plus, every time there's a new episode, uh, I do a a Patreon exclusive live call in where you guys get to discuss your thoughts with me about the newest issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Boy, you guys let me have it. I'm sure we're going to get some divergence of opinion here on on issues like Amazing Spider-Man 15. If you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from Spade from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This time we've got a recreation of Web of Spider-Man number one's iconic cover of Black Suit Spider-Man, but this time he's joined by Daredevil, and that has been illustrated by Juan Ferreira. Plus, every episode we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Cutting in here, Mark, are you reading Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man at present? I am not. I'm sorry. It's a very weird comic, despite having amazing artwork from Juan Ferreira. I I just had to kind of like figure it out because like I'm reading it and I have no idea what is going on in that comic or why Peter is working in L.A. currently. The artwork is stunning. And I just Juan Ferreira. I mean, he does this great stuff for us and for in, in comics like Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, I just want this guy to get like a chance to do like a really good 
Spidey book because that art is so killer. You guys look forward to that art coming in your mailbox, but we do know this is a hard time for everybody as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening to it and sharing it with your friends and other comic book readers. But if you have the means, you know, we'd love for you to join our Patreon and support both this show's continued existence and, you know, like what Mark and I do to make the show better every week in and out. We always try new things. You can get to that just by following the link in the description to the episode or going to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. You'll see a big button for Patreon. It'll get you there. You can check it out. Even if you don't end up subscribing, go check it out. Take a look. Keep it on the back burner this holiday season. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. But uh, except for to say a thank you to all the members who already make our show possible. But alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by our good friend Rick Coast. Our video version of it is available on YouTube and it's edited by Alex Galucky, who's doing some really cool things over there. I know, Mark, you like seeing your recaps get uh, done up by the Alex Galucky treatment. I will also say our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Madge, And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until we revert to our 90s selves take up collecting pogs, fail at getting the attention of the opposite sex, and ultimately fall back on self-loathing and the endless complications of Marvel Comics lore, what's our motto? Oh, man, you are making me excited to go back to the 90s with that description. It is, of course, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next Mark, what's the John Byrne reinvention of your life in the 90s? Oh, God. I don't know, but it probably involves like getting a computer instead of a microscope. That's all I got. <laughs> Any job, job Byrne reinvention, it must mention that. So, <laughs> I, We'll end on that. Yeah.